Good morning. Glad you all made it here on time. Anyone hung up still with that hour thing? Gets me every year. It's like, why do you do this to me? Don't realize it until, you know, it's not really three in the morning, it's four in the morning. And then you think, oh, oh no, (laughs) I need to go to sleep. Um, Some of you are saying, no, that's when I wake up. We are in Genesis, and we're going to start in chapter 10 this morning. So if you open a copy of the scriptures to Genesis chapter 10, we'll begin first with a word of prayer. Father, we are once again coming here together to bring opportunity to hear from you. And so, Lord, As we posture our hearts and our minds and give you our attention, may you speak through the scriptures to us. May they inspire us. May they encourage us. May they reprove us. May they accomplish what needs to take place within each of us. And may they help us to see what you can accomplish through us. We give our attention to you, this time to you, Father, may it produce something honorable for you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As we're going through Genesis, you're probably going to notice that I'm not touching every verse and and every situation, and we're not going to. And it doesn't mean that we don't think it's all inspired and it's not all great. It's just we want to get through the book and there's other things that we want to accomplish. And what my desire is to do with the scriptures is to really just encourage you in what is there. I want to kind of, what do you call it when you make someone hungry, you entice their appetite? What was it? Wet their appetite, you pick your words. I was going to I hope that through our time that you are excited about what is there in Scripture and will look to it yourself. Because there's amazing things that we are not going to touch on. There's one verse in chapter 10 that we're not going to touch on, and it's verse 25, chapter 10, verse 25, says, Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. What does that mean? We're not going to talk about that. So, (laughs) if you want to know, look it up. Look into it. There is so much richness there for us to enjoy and you don't need me in fact first john chapter 2 he says you don't need that any man teach you the anointing you received abides in you you have no need that anyone should teach you but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it is taught you abide in him you don't need a person to teach you We have people who take that role of a pastor that help us, but you don't need them to teach you what is there in Scripture. You have God's Spirit. In fact, God will 
speak to you in areas that are probably more direct than I ever could. And so my desire here is just to give you an appetizer and that you on your own would take the initiative to have a meal in the scriptures. And that's my hope. I'm not going to spoon feed you every little thing that is in the Bible. You have to be hungry. You want to see what's in there. And I hope that as we go through these things, you're inspired to do just that. And so as we've been going through Genesis, that has been the, the purpose. Because as we look at the scriptures, the viewpoint that we start from is so important. If you have the wrong view of God, everything can be tainted. And so this book of origins that we've called Beginnings is helping us to get on the right track with who God is, what he is doing in humanity. And we saw from the very beginning that God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And then as the creation process goes, we saw on the seventh day, God rested. And we talked about that rest being the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was there to connect men to God, to recognize that this is holy. We were created by God. And so our duty is to give worship to the one who has created us, that the Israelites at that time who had just come out of slavery in Egypt were not created to make bricks. They weren't created to just work. They were created by God in his image to be an example of him. That's what it means to be in his image, to be something that reflects who he is. And so from the very beginning, we see that there is intention, purpose created for that. We saw that God breathed his life to give us life, and we became living beings. He didn't do that with the other animals, but he did that with the man, with the woman. He gave us his life. And then we saw that there was brought the freedom to choose. We know about the choice. We talked about the fall and what that has caused. And then the choices continue to be made how Cain made a choice to kill his brother Abel and things just kept going further and further down and God pleaded with Cain and he says, why are you doing this? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? And so we see God extending mercy, extending grace to Cain, knowing Cain's thoughts and intents because he was downcast. And God says, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But... Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. You must master it. Cain didn't master it. And yet still God showed mercy, putting a mark on him so that he would not be killed. And we see that there's this line, the line of Cain, and we see the other line of Seth, that those who believed in God, and through this genealogy, there are people like Enoch who walked with God and was not because God took him. All the others were born, got married, had children, died, born, got married, had children, died, but not Enoch. He walked with God and God took him because he walked pleasing to God. And another interesting note is Enoch gave birth to a son whose name was Methuselah. Methuselah's name means in death it will come. 
something along that line, or it will happen after death. The flood came after Methuselah died. It's interesting, Methuselah was the oldest person who ever lived. An example of God's mercy. That God withheld, 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 and finally the judgment came. And we talked last week about the flood. And we talked how God's judgment and wrath was a result of man's behavior, not just arbitrary. That the reason this took place is because what was taking place. And God said, I'm not going to always strive with man. I can't do this with them. In fact, in Genesis 6, 3, it's the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So Methuselah, the oldest person, lived to be 969 years. We talked about why people lived so long at that time. If you weren't here, go online. You can get it. And then we start seeing that there is a decline because what God is trying to do is stop or slow down the spread of evil. And so that is why he brought judgment. But if we don't know the character and heart of God, these things will pass by us. And pretty soon God will just be this judge and God will be distant and he won't be a God who cares and who loves and is involved with the creation. And so now we come to this place where we have more genealogies. And remember, genealogies are connecting the dots from what happened here to what happens here. And every now and then little things pop up that are important, but they are trying to lead us someplace and to do it in a quicker way. Otherwise, we got hundreds of years of things that happen. And then Sam went to sleep late at night, and then he got up and he remembered there was no milk for the Syria. You know, I mean, it would just go on and on and on. And so God is connecting the dots quickly so that we have an understanding. I want you to turn to chapter 10 and verse 8. As we look through the genealogies that are taking place after the flood, after Noah's children are spreading out and dispersing throughout the world, we see in verse 8, Cush was the father of Nimrod. I just wanted to read that because I like that name, Nimrod. (laughs) Who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, we might not say that, but they said that back then, okay? This was one of those terms. Oh, yeah, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean now. Verse 10, it says, The first centers of his kingdom... Now hear this, he's got a kingdom where Babylon, Eruk, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. Shinar you might want to mark because that's going to come up in chapter 11. From the land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kelah, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kelah, which is the great city. And so we see that there are men who are unique, mighty, strong, powerful, who are in some ways tyrants. They were called heroes of old, but they also are people who have very much an oppressing power about them. And so here is Nimrod, and he has a kingdom. And he has all these cities that he's developing. And one of the cities 
that is there is Shinar. And turn with me to chapter 11. Verse 1, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. There's that place. This is Nimrod's area. This is his city that he's established. And they settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this phrasing, let us, mimics God's speech in chapter one, where he says, let us make man in our image. And so now here are these people and they're saying, let us make this. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create something for themselves. Let's, let's make a name for ourselves. Let us recreate ourselves. Let us establish our own identity. We have our own city. We are establishing who we are and we have the technology. We have the means. So let's build something that will help bring us a name for ourselves. Let's bring, bring, build a tower that will reach to heaven so that people will know us and that we will have this name. And um, what they set out to do was build a city and a tower that reaches to the sky to make a name for themselves or a brand themselves, to create, in a sense, a, a synthetic solidarity. We are our own people. Because otherwise, they said, we're going to be spread out. They started to see the decay of the relationships between one another. And and that's something that has happened after the fall. And that is something that is continually happening. I mean, there has not been a time on our planet where there has not been war. Why? Is war good? No. It's a terrible thing. Why does it exist? Because we want to establish for ourselves. Sometimes it's in a good way, sometimes it's in a bad way, but there are these oppositions. We want to try and make something for ourselves. And sometimes it has to be stopped, and sometimes it can't get support. And so here they are. We're seeing this decay. Ever since the fall, there is a difficulty. Let's try and rally the troops, make a name for ourselves so that we're not dispersed. They needed a project to pull themselves together. And that's kind of what happens when individuals want to manufacture something that is missing in them. They try and make something that will bring that kind of cohesive means to them. And so what they are trying to do is establish their life without that Sabbath, without that holiness that belongs to God, that holiness that is supposed to be our identity. They're going to make now their own identity. You know, sometimes we need to ask ourselves not if we can do some things like scientifically, but maybe should we? 
because we have the means to do things doesn't mean that we always should. And how many times has there been experiments on people or on other areas and you stand back and you look at it and you think, that's kind of strange, whether it's genetic altering, whether it's experimental use of drugs like LSD and things like that with the military. And you look at some of these things and you say, man, that's not good. Maybe someone should have asked, should we do this instead of can we? And and you see, God is the should we portion of this. We can build a tower to heaven. We're going to establish a name for ourselves. We're going to become our own people. No one asked, should we do that? They just went ahead and said, we're going to do that. And, And they're worried because they're going to get scattered because they see that there is weakness. It's hard to have a kingdom and it not be divisive. It's hard to have unity in a kingdom. I mean, it's hard to have one political party unless it's a dictatorship, right? And then that usually doesn't go well. The people are like, well, no, I'd like to have a choice. You do have a choice, me. And you say, no, I'm for this, I'm for the right, I'm for the left. And it's hard to have cohesion. And so the people are starting to scatter. And so they said, we got to do something, a project that will bring us together. Let's build a tower to heaven. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We don't know much more about that tower. But we see in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. I love that. Because, again, we see such human terms put on God. This is done on purpose. The reason... God was walking in the cool of the garden. It isn't because he had feet and was literally walking. It is to help us connect to the character of God. It's helping us as human beings understand. And so when it says that God, the Lord looked down to see the city, it's kind of interesting because it doesn't mean that God didn't know it was happening. But what's funny is there they are establishing, we are going to build a tower to the heavens. And God has to look down and say, what are you guys doing? Because it's so small, I can barely see it. He has to look down to see what they're doing. In all their majesty, God is looking down to see what's going on. And and as he looks down to see what they're doing, verse 6, it says, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, that's not a very nice thing to do. Right? I mean, isn't that a drag to have other languages? I hate that. I hate going to another country and not knowing what they're saying about me. Not know what, how to communicate. And it's so easy to learn another language when you're three, but when you're 50, it's like near impossible. 
one time there was just one language. And everyone could communicate. How great that would have been. Why would God do something like that? Well, because they're unifying. But unifying for what? Unifying to accomplish what? They are unifying to accomplish an identity separated from God. And once again, what we see taking place isn't that God is arbitrarily just causing havoc on the human race. What God is doing is trying to stop the havoc that man is causing. And so as they are doing these things and unifying and and separating a name and a character for themselves that is separate from God, God says, I'm going to stop this. So one day they're sitting there talking, hey, Joe, bring me some more bricks. And then Joe goes, okay. They're like, what's with the keg? Get me some more bricks. No hable. And work stops immediately. And all the people who speak Spanish go down this way. And all the people who speak Norwegian, or whatever that language is, go this way. And they start developing communities, spreading out based on who they can communicate with. Because if you lose communication, you lose everything. But the reason it took place was because of where they were going and God wanting to stop the destructive aspects of what they were doing. Something interesting takes place later on. In fact, turn to Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. After the resurrection, Jesus says to the disciples, stay in Jerusalem. My spirit is going to come upon you. You will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, this message of who I am and what I've done is going to spread. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or dialects or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, what does this mean? 
Some said, oh, they've had too much wine, but Peter stands up and gives this sermon and says, no, this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. And what we see here in Acts is the same thing that took place at the Tower of Babel, but in reverse. Here God confuses their language to stop the spread of destruction. And here God brings unity to their language to move this wave that's going to change the world. The declaration of the goodness of God and what Jesus has done. God says, I will now bring unity here so that this message can take over the world. So it can take the hearts of every man, no matter where they're from. And so what took place, God disrupting the language in chapter 10 or 11 of Genesis is now reversed in chapter 2 of Acts. He brought disorder and now he brings unity. They hear each other speaking in their own native tongue. Why? Because they're declaring the wondrous works of God. You see, God isn't trying to thwart man. He's trying to thwart the evil that men is doing. And then he's trying to enhance the good that men is doing. As we've been talking through Genesis, we, we've been hitting hard this choice that we make. The choice that was made there in the garden by Adam and Eve. The choice that was made by Cain to kill his brother Abel. The choice that was made by each of those people in the genealogy. And then there was Enoch who walked with God and was not because God took him. The choice that was made by Noah who walked in a way that was pleasing to God and God saw him as righteous compared to all those people. And we see the choice, the choice, the choice. But I would hate for you to think that in this freedom and the power we have to choice that God is just sitting back there doing nothing. He is is always working. He worked to stop the spread of destruction with the flood. He stopped to stop this unifying, destructive way here in the Tower of Babel. And he helped to promote the unifying work of the gospel in chapter 2 of Acts. You see, God isn't invisible. He is still working. And you have the freedom, I have the freedom to choose. God has the freedom to choose as well. And God is making choices, but it's important that you and I understand that these choices that he is making isn't to bring you harm, isn't to cause difficulty for your life. The choices that God makes might be to stop harm from happening. The choices that God is making where he works might be to help good take place. It might look devastating like a flood. It might seem disastrous like the spreading of different languages and the causing of confusion, but it might actually be something very powerful and very necessary to help the good of human race. And we need to recognize that there is a moral aspect to God that is taking place and it is for the good of you and me. That God is not willing that any perish. That word any means any. Okay? It doesn't mean some. He is not willing that any perish. He doesn't have his few favorites. 
remember when one of my kids was in grammar school. They had a teacher who we didn't care that much for. And the way they talked about our son, she said, well, he's not one of the chosen bunnies. What does that mean? Darn right, he's not a chosen bunny. It's like she had her few favorites who were smart, and this child wasn't one of the few favorites. And she put it in a cute way, so I guess it would sound cute. Bunnies are cute, so I have my chosen bunnies. Anyway, God doesn't have chosen bunnies. Um, What God does do is work through his people. What God does do is try and stop the destructive work of people. And so God brought confusion there to stop the spread and God brought unity to encourage the spread of the gospel. And just as we saw Nimrod, this man who developed kingdoms, who had these cities, what we see later on in chapter 11 back in Genesis verse 27, is where the genealogies are going to. Because after chapter 11, there begins this whole other section that is going to be about Abram, Abraham, and God's covenant with this people. Remember God's covenant with mankind. God is now going to make a covenant with these people. And in chapter 11, verse 27, it says, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was Milchai. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milchah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. We have Nimrod, powerful man, building kingdoms. We have... Abram and Sarah, they are unable to have children. Who's going to leave the strongest mark on this planet? It's going to be Nimrod, the mighty hunter. As it is said, Nimrod's a mighty hunter. Or is it going to be this man, Abram, who would become Abraham, who would become the father of of many nations whose descendants are going to be countless as the stars and as the sand. And you say, God doesn't need the most powerful, but what he does need is the willing. And Abraham became willing. When God said, go, he went. So many times it's difficult to understand God's involvement with us and with mankind. And sometimes we can see it and we can see the results of it and it's important that we do see it. Years ago, I was thinking about a coworker, a guy I used to work with, and I knew that he had had some problems with drugs, that he was... 
basically a meth head and 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 then I heard that he'd went to Teen Challenge and got his life cleaned up. And then I heard that he went back and started using again. And I just thought about him after years, out of the blue. I just thought, oh, I wonder how he's doing. And then Colleen came one day and said, hey, I saw so-and-so, this guy who I had just been thinking about out of the blue after years. Hadn't thought about him at all. And all of a sudden I think about him the next day. Colleen says, hey, I saw so-and-so and he said to say hello. And I said, well, I just thought about him. Tell him I'd like to sit down and talk with them. And so she said, okay. She saw him again. And then I was going to sit down and talk with him. And I'm thinking, this is divine. God puts this person on my heart and in my mind. I think of him out of the blue. And all of a sudden, he's there in someone's life. They come up to me and we know about it. This is divine. God is going to do something amazing. God is going to use this time to bring him back to this place. And so I meet with him and I'm talking with him and he's in bad shape. He's not only using, he's also supplying, he's also pimping girls and he's in a bad place. And I talked to him and I said, you know, God put you on my heart and now you're here in my life and I have something to share with you. You need to stop this. And he says, I know that this will kill me if I continue doing it but I'm going to continue doing it. I know God is speaking to you and speaking to me through you, but I'm letting you know this is what I'm going to do. And he left and he continued doing what he was doing. And I thought to myself, wait a second, that's not how it's supposed to be. God, you put him on my heart. You put him in my life so that he could change, but he didn't. Months later, he contacted me and said, I've contracted HIV virus. I have AIDS. I'm going to move out of state. And what he told me was true. If I continue doing this, I'm going to die. And I remember having such turmoil in my mind, thinking, God, why would you bring him into my life so I could talk to him and him not change? And God put on my heart, because I still care. Last week, getting ready for Wednesday evening and I get a call from my son who's in Texas and it's two hours different. He's just gotten out of church, which is a miraculous thing. He gets out of church and he says, Dad, I just got done with church and I sang for the first time and and I don't know how long. And, And we've been singing a song here For a few years, it's a song by Jesus Culture called uh, One Thing Remains. Your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out of me. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that song and my heart has gone out to my son because of the situation that he's in, the abandonment he's experienced. And I would think, God, you will not give up on him. You will never run out on him. And that song would move me to tears and emotion as I would think about him 
God, you're there. And he calls me and he says, Dad, I sang for the first time and I sang the song and I just started weeping. And it was that song. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. And he says, Dad, God's not giving up on me. And as he is saying that, Alex is inside practicing, getting ready. And he didn't play that song that night, but he started singing that song while I'm talking to my son, hearing him talk about that song. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is a moment I'm having right now. (laughs) And you see, God does not stop working. He says, oh, I I can do amazing things. I can put a song on your heart. I can put it in his life. And I can even have Alex start singing it, even though he's not going to sing it tonight. All on the right time. Bam! What are the odds of those planets lining up? God doesn't stop working. But it doesn't stop us from choosing. So here, here's what I want us to take away from this story and from the stories we've been looking at. When we are going to destroy ourselves, God will step in and he will do what he can to slow it down, to thwart those things. When there is time when we can do good, God will step in to help us so that we can move in the right direction. He is going to help us in whatever ways he can. We still have the responsibility of choice, but God shows up. One more story. I don't want to mention names because I know sometimes people get embarrassed. I know someone, a woman, who years ago was going through a lot of difficult things. A divorce, family kind of being disheveled. And as she was driving along Pacific Coast Highway, she had these thoughts, I'm just going to take my life. Wasn't a follower of Christ, but she just thought, I'm just going to drive my car off the cliff and end it. And she liked listening to jazz, and so she was listening to a jazz radio station. And as she's having this thought about killing herself, all of a sudden, Amazing Grace starts playing on the radio. And she just starts crying, and she doesn't drive off the cliff. Because God is working. God can put it on the program. I think you need to play Amazing Grace right about now. And it's enough to touch a heart. It's enough to stop the destruction so that years later she could become a follower of Jesus. God will do all that is necessary to reach, but he will not make the decision. We have that responsibility. But you parents who are worried about your children, take comfort. God is always working. You might think, this is destructive, this is terrible. Sometimes that terrible destruction is to slow down further destruction. And maybe there's going to be a time where there will be the restoration, the bringing together, the uniting and forwarding the things that God wants to do. But take comfort. Not only is God working, God cares and loves you so 
so much. And he's not willing that any, and I mean any, perish. And he cares for your family, he cares for your children, he cares for you. And you might be going on thinking, hey, I'm going to build a tower. I'm just going to reach, I'm going to make my own identity. And your life crumbles. And you think, what the heck? God's looking down saying, what are you doing? Oh, I got to stop that. I got to stop that. Why? Because he doesn't like you. He wants to stop the destruction. But he will help you reconstruct your life to build a better life as well. Let's pray. Lord, may we have the right insight on who you are and why you do the things that you do. God, we will never understand fully your mind, but you've given us stories to help us have confidence in you. You've given us examples where we see your working and for a reason. And Lord, this reason is always for the benefit of your creation. For those who you've breathed life into, for those who you love, you so love the world that you have given your own son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have this life. And so Lord, as life moves forward and we see things get torn down and broken as we see dreams crumble, as we see lives go through just horrendous and difficult things. Lord, may we not lose sight that you are still working, that sometimes in that deconstruction, you are actually making way for construction of something that is meaningful, lasting, you are at work. And so may the decisions we make be in line with the heart that you are showing us. May we want to be a part of your constructive work and may you unify us to do good, to spread this incredible, incredible news that the God who looks down sees and cares, and is working. Lord, may that work be evident in our lives and through the things that we do. Lord, thank you for this time and for your words. I pray that we would desire to know more and more, that we would desire more than anything to know you, and we would look to your scriptures to see more clearly who you are. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.